Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. I believe that tonight's uh, session concept, the, the topic, the theme, is one of the most important sessions we'll do in the entire uh, Book of Revelation study. Um, and so I believe it's, uh, it's, you know, to say it's the most important, I don't know if that's the case, but I would put it in the top three or four or five um, uh, sessions of all that we've covered in this book of Revelation. And so um, tonight is entitled Keeping the Prophecy. And so in our study of the book of Revelation, we've been going theme by theme. And tonight we're going to talk about an interesting charge that Jesus gives towards the end of the book of Revelation. It's in chapter 22. It's not at the very end of 22, but it's as the, uh, the final chapter is being wrapped up and as the book as a whole is being wrapped up, Jesus gives this mysterious charge pertaining to the book itself. And it's, this charge is a warning it's a blessing, it's a promise, it self-declares the importance of the book of Revelation. I mean, there's, there's some interesting things being communicated here uh, in this phrase or in this uh, line that we're going to read, and that is Revelation 22, verse 7, Jesus tells us to keep the prophecy. He says, behold, I am coming soon, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. So it's a, it's a charge. It's not just a blessing. It's not just like the other beatitudes that we find in the book of Revelation. This one has got a specific promise related to the book of Revelation. It says, blessed are those that keep it, but the charge is be one of those. Be one that keeps the prophecy. We need to talk some tonight about what does it mean to keep the prophecy, because that's a bit of a cryptic term, a bit of an interesting idea. I mean, at face value, we probably get, you know, at least, you know, 20% of the meeting just, just reading it, but I think there's some depth here that we want to dive into. John began the book of Revelation with a similar exhortation. He said this in uh, Revelation 1.3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. So here John begins Revelation more or less with the same theme. It's not the same phrase, but it's the same theme. He says, blessed are you if you read it, if you hear it, and most importantly, if you take to heart what's written in it. And I think there's a lot of uh, interpretation uh, those phrases, I think, provide a good amount of interpretation for what Jesus means at the end of Revelation when he says more or less the same thing. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy. So I just want us to kind of think about this for a second, the two bookends. Revelation chapter 1, three verses in, if you will. Blessed are you if you keep this prophecy. Now, Revelation 22, whatever, 11 verses from the end of the book, something like that. Blessed are you if you keep the prophecy. If you keep the words of this prophecy, it's, it's both ends. We've got the beginning and the end are both exhorting us, take this thing seriously. Keep these words. That's interesting. We see here, in uh, just a few verses later, because we've been looking at Revelation 22, verse 7, where we're told, keep the prophecy, or, or, you know, the term is, blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy. So I recognize I'm, I'm playing with the phrase a little bit, but I think I'm capturing the heart, keep the prophecy. When, uh, when just a couple of verses later in Revelation, chapter 22, verse 10, an angel gives some additional insight. An angel steps in and, and says, let me give a little bit further information about what's happening here. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Now, Daniel was told by an angel in Daniel chapter 12, verse 9, the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. So in Daniel's day, 
When Daniel was interacting with an angel, possibly this same angel, when Daniel was interacting with an angel, the angel told him, these words are to be sealed up until the time of the end because it's, it pertains a time in the distant future and these words are, words are sealed up. They are not to be uh, uh, left open. This scroll and the additional information that can be found in this scroll is not to be left open. But we see here at the end of Revelation, Daniel is told by an angel, he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. And so in a, in, in a sense, the end times began with the departure of Jesus. In the, in the broadest sense of the end times, they began with the departure of Jesus and a measure of revelation became available in the, uh, the time period after the book of Revelation was written all the way to this day. Now I think extra, uh, excremental I mean, the, the, it's just, it's an exponential amount of the uh, of revelation um, to be made available to the body of Christ as the time draws near. And at this, this exponential nature of revelation and understanding of that scroll, of the clarity of it, I think as we near the end, it's all the more shouting and loud and clear. But it's interesting that right after Jesus says, keep this prophecy, an angel says, don't seal up this prophecy. Part of the reason being we wouldn't be able to keep it because we need additional understanding. And so Daniel, uh, the, uh, the uh, Apostle John is bearing witness to words of Jesus and words of an angel related to this uh, prophecy that there is going to be uh, additional information made available. And in order to keep it, we're going to need that revelation. Another detail that's tied in this that Jesus gives us in the Revelation 22.7 exhortation of keep the prophecy is he starts that sentence with, behold, I am coming soon. So this, this keeping the prophecy is actually related. I, I want us to, to catch this. The, the ability to keep the prophecy is tied to the second coming and the time frame of the second coming. So Jesus says, I'm coming soon, you could put in there, so keep the prophecy. So what that means is, the closer that we get to the time frame of Jesus' actual coming, I mean, the Father knows how many days we have left. We don't know, but the Father knows. The closer that we get to the, the actual day of the Lord's return, the more and more real keeping the prophecy is because Jesus tied keeping the prophecy to the timing of his coming. He said, I'm, I'm coming soon. So it's important that you pay attention to these details. Now, as we keep going, we want to have that, that uh, Titus reality in us. Titus 2, 12 through 13 about our blessed hope. This is what's supposed to be happening as we near the day of the Lord. Here's what's supposed to be occurring. We would live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we would live godly lives, this is part of what it means to keep the prophecy, that we would be thinking about his coming and we would live godly lives in light of his coming. And as the day draws near, we would press in all the more in godliness, in living self-controlled and living upright with the hope of the coming of Jesus on our minds and in our hearts. So what's supposed to happen is the study of the end times is actually supposed to cause us to fall more in love with Jesus and live more righteously. So the idea that studying the end times is a distraction from what real Christianity is about is a complete misunderstanding of the second coming. It is the return of our Jesus to the planet. There is nothing greater than that. Even sharing the gospel with lost people is in partnership to get Jesus to come back to the planet. Because Jesus said, I won't come back until the gospel has gone forth to every tribe, language, tongue, and nation. So even the sharing of the gospel, the Great Commission, it's not, in, uh, it's not removed from the second coming of Christ. It's a prerequisite 
for the second coming of Christ. And so it's all unto our glory, the glorious appearing, what Jesus referred to as, or, or uh, Titus, Paul to Titus, as our blessed hope. The second coming of Jesus, the end times. It's our blessed hope, it's our real hope. So when Jesus says, I'm coming soon, keep the prophecy, you could also say our blessed hope is what we're looking to and looking forward to. And as a result, we're doing everything we can to keep the purposes of God so we can be in full agreement with those things so that we are ready when he comes. These are all the same conversation, same dialogue. All right, well, let's talk about this. What does it mean to keep the prophecy? This is an involved reality. There's a lot going on here. I'm doing a whole session on that phrase because I think it's worthy of us unpacking. And again, I started off with, I think this is one of the most important sessions in the whole series that we're doing on the book of Revelation. What does it mean to keep the prophecy? First, it means understand the prophecy. I mean, you can't keep something unless you know what it is. Keep, you know, uh, keep the, uh, the, the speed limit. How do you keep the speed limit unless you know what speed limit is? You can't. You have to understand what speed limit is. You have to be able to read numbers on the side of the road. You got to be able to understand what those numbers mean. You got to relate those numbers back to your, you know, speedometer and, and your foot and the gas pedal. I mean, all these things work together for you to keep the speed limit. All right. In order to keep the prophecy, you have to understand the prophecy. That is a really big subject, actually, because the prophecy wasn't the three verses before Jesus said, keep the prophecy. The prophecy is, Revelation 1.3 says, hey, keep the prophecy. And Revelation 22, verse 7 says, hey, keep the prophecy. What's the prophecy? It's the whole book of Revelation. Keep the prophecy means understand the prophecy. Well, that's 22 chapters. That's, that's kind of a big deal. And we can't keep it if we don't understand it. I just... That's a pretty simple baseline that is very different than, are you going to keep the prophecy? I sure am. How? I'm not real sure. What's it say? I read it once. I don't know. It's been a minute. You can't keep it. You, there's going to be required a lot more than a, a casual having read it once or 10 even times. I mean, this is going to require something different because you can't keep it if you don't understand what it is you're keeping. And it just so happens there's a lot of mystery in this book. So first point of keeping it, understand it. And I just can't overstate how big of a subject that is. Understand the prophecy. Second, believe it. And I gave you Ephesians 1 there saying, Lord, let's ask for the spirit of revelation. It's one of the reasons every night, uh, when we, Saturday night when we come together, that I open up with praying, oh God, help us to understand. Help us to understand what we're reading. Help us to understand what we're studying and asking the Holy Spirit to instruct us. So that's a, a really important escort because you don't want the understanding of man. Man can't understand God's ways. Only the Spirit can interpret the ways of God. So we want to have the Spirit of Revelation helping us to understand the book of Revelation. Next is believe the prophecy. First was understand it. Now it's believe it. You know, reading it's one thing. Even coming to a point of understanding it is another. Believing it and engaging faith touches a whole different realm within us. Understanding is a spiritual but an intellectual realm. And, and a lot of that intellectual, you know, understanding how does this work with this and what does that mean? That's understanding the prophecy. But you have to believe the prophecy. And that gets, that gets tricky and messy Faith is this substance of things unseen. It's, it's not tangible. It, it touches a realm of the spirit that is, that is different and unique. It requires a reach. You can't keep this prophecy if you don't believe this prophecy. But believing it takes meditation. I, I, you know, I don't know about you, but when I first came to know the Lord, there were a number of verses that I would read, and it would take me a while to understand what I was reading. And go, what is that? What does that even mean? And then I would get a little bit of understanding. And I'd go, oh, I think I get it. And then i go, oh, oh, I don't know that I like that. Now that I understand what that says, I don't know that I believe that. Is that real? I don't. It was a whole different battle. Believing is a different battle than understanding. Understanding probably comes first, but believing is a, is a whole nother mess. And you can't keep it if you don't believe it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
If without faith, it's impossible to get anything done in the kingdom. Because it's a kingdom of faith. It's an invisible kingdom, at least at present. So believing the prophecy is another one. And I just want to remind you, going back to my little analogy, when I first came to know the Lord, some of you were nodding and, and going, yep, I remember that. You had to have a little bit of familiarity with those Bible verses before you could come to a point where you said you understood it, before you could even have the faith wrestle. There needed to be a measure of comprehension that required some familiarity. And I, a minute ago, I was talking about a few verses, not 22 chapters. So just do the math there, okay? Study the prophecy. The content is to be poured over for understanding. One of the safeguards that is so kind is the real title of the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you were going to pour over anything and like go at it again and again and try to glean and try to understand and try to have your heart engaged and you were going to do that with anything, you would want it to be something that was called the revelation of Jesus from heaven. The revelation of the Son of Man. The revelation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's a worthy thing to pour over. And that's what we're talking about. I just gave you the verse in uh, Acts that talked about the Bereans being of more noble character than so many of the others that uh, the apostles were encountering because they poured over the scriptures daily to see if what was being taught was accurate. They poured over the scriptures. To understand the prophecy, to be able to keep it, you're going to have to study the book of Revelation. Now, I'm talking to the right group, right? I mean, that, that line goes over really good in this room on a night where we're studying the book of Revelation and have been for the better part of forever. <laughs> I get that. I, I understand. But my, my point with that is it's not enough that we've got a casual understanding. We've got to study this and give ourselves to it. And we all are aware, we all know, you can be in a room where something is being taught and you yourself not really engaging with it. So it's not enough that you attend a Bible study on the book of Revelation. You have got to study the prophecy. You can't keep it if you don't study it. Letter D, part, uh, page three. This one's a challenge. What does it mean to keep the prophecy? Live like it's true. Oh, no, because it's not, you know, keep these words or keep this opinion. It's keep this prophecy. Now, there are certain prophecies people have given me over the years that I'm like, I don't know that I put much stock in that. And I don't live like I believe it. I might live like it's on a shelf in, you know, in, in the back room of my mind. I haven't thrown it out. I haven't said it's not the Lord. I just, I can't give myself to it. But I'm not living like I believe it. I'm not living. Like, but then there are some prophecies. Man, I'm living like I believe them. I've done some foolish things. Because I believe those prophecies. There's a hole over at 5507 Gessner Court that might bear witness to that. You know, there are some prophecies that, that we believe. And we, we live like we believe them. And there's, there's action taken. There's, there's thought processes. I'll, I'll give you a for instance. Some of you who don't have to be here on Saturday nights, but you choose to come every Saturday night because there's something in your life that you're like, I'm believing like this prophecy is real. <laughs> I, I want to get understanding about it. I want to I understand the book of Revelation. There are some aspects of your life that either are or aren't in alignment with living like the prophecy is true. I just, maybe in a moment with the Lord in the prayer room, you know, today, tomorrow, next day, ask the Lord, Lord, how am I living or not living like I believe that this prophecy is true? And just ask the Holy Spirit to give you some insight on that. I think that would actually be better than me giving you a list of, this is how you know you believe the prophecy is true. I mean, how would I even know? That's pretty subjective. I, I think you dialoguing with the Lord and ask yourself the question, have you ever even thought of that? I mean, that's a good, that's a great conversation starter with the Lord. Have I even ever asked you the question 
am I living or should I be living like I believe this prophecy is true? And, and if so, what would that look like? I think that's a great point of dialogue with the Lord. I'll just say this. You can't keep it if your lifestyle doesn't reflect you actually believe it and you're living for it. Keep the prophecy. How about this next one? Proclaim the prophecy. It's not enough that we keep it for ourselves. We have to proclaim it. Telling others about what God's heart has communicated through the prophecy, uh, through the, these incredible uh, lines of this prophecy. It's not enough that we ourselves know it, but that we would proclaim it. And proclaim it doesn't mean you have to have a megaphone. Proclaim it could be over coffee with your friend. But proclaim it means you're telling others about it. You can't keep it because the entire message of the book of Revelation is look out, duck. I mean, it's like you can't, you can't keep that prophecy without telling others look out, duck. I mean, you have got to be able to explain and be able to, to warn and to exhort and to encourage. But I'll just say it this way. To be able to make a lick of sense about this prophecy, you got to double down on your understanding. It's one thing for you to understand it. It's quite another for you to explain it to somebody and make any sense at all. Think about that. You're trying to keep the prophecy with your friend. And, and they give you the open door. They go ahead and they throw you a softball pitch and they say, uh, hey, why is the book of Revelation important? And you're like, there's angels, and uh, there's 21-somethings, and they're bad, most of them. Uh, and I think at the end, he's coming, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure. And, uh, and there was something about keeping the prophecy, so I just kept it, because I told you. I told you. You feel warned, right, duck? That's what he said. <laughs> and they walk away going, that fool... What are they talking? I don't want to study the book of Revelation if that's what it's about. That doesn't, that didn't make any sense at all. But I don't know if any of you have had that conversation and I don't, listen, if you've had that conversation and you failed, congratulations, join the ranks of all of us that have had that conversation and failed. Just get better at it. Don't stay in complete mess of your ability or rather your inability to communicate the prophecy. Get more clarity about it. My goodness, this is going to take some investment. Yeah, I think that's the point, actually. I think that it's not an inappropriate statement to say the final generation needs to have a preoccupation with the fact that it's the final generation. It's okay that a few other things in life happen, but life as we know it is not the most important thing. Being preoccupied with the second coming is the most important thing for the generation that's going to experience the second coming. So if you're a little off, you make a little less sense to the rest of people, except when you talk about revelation, then you make sense. Be in that camp instead of being so useful in every other way, and you can't make a lick of sense when it comes to this prophecy. Because to keep this prophecy includes telling people about it, but to tell people about it, it's not so that you can get the check mark, there I did it, I'm a good Christian, I shared the prophecy. They didn't understand a word you said, and that's not their fault. That's your fault as a messenger. So as a messenger, you gotta get more clarity, which it just so happens, if you'll keep the prophecy and all the other ways we've been talking about, you will grow in your ability to be able to communicate in such a way that you're making a little bit of sense. I'm not saying you have to have perfect clarity and explain perfect clarity and don't open your mouth before you have perfect clarity. Get a little clarity. And then talk about what you got a little clarity on. And maybe don't even try to touch on all the stuff you don't have any clarity on. You ever been in one of those conversations where you, somebody was asking you some questions and you were hitting it out of the park. I mean, you're just like, got it, got it. And then they ask you a question and you totally do not know the answer. But to save face, because you just knocked the other three questions out of the park, you keep talking and diarrhea comes out of your mouth. <laughs> And it is so unhelpful. As you, you, and you just, you totally, it would be way better to go, you know what, I don't know. Let me get back with you on that. There's some accountability to go learn. Instead of keep talking. So you can talk about the stuff you got a little bit of clarity on. I think it's good, get a little clarity on stuff. 
But if you're going to keep the prophecy, you got to proclaim the prophecy. Look at this, Habakkuk. It's actually talking about this exact concept. Habakkuk 2. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. Make it plain so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the time of the end. And it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Look at this prophecy. I mean, this, this, this uh, exhortation. Write it down, but make it plain. <laughs> make it so that somebody can understand what you're saying. And it's important. It matters. How about this one? Brace for the fulfillment of the prophecy. What does it mean to keep the prophecy? I say brace for the fulfillment. Now you might go, how does brace for the fulfillment differ from live like it's true? I think they're related, but I'll just give you a couple of thoughts as I was kind of processing this. Bracing for the fulfillment is an internal preparation. Internal, you're dialoguing with the Lord about his judgments. You're maybe even having some conversations with people. I think some of that's di uh, happening in our discussion groups. But you're having conversations with people about some of these things. What's it going to be like when all those people die and I watch it happen? Now, we don't want to only camp out there. We want to mostly be thinking of the glory. But I got news for you. A big piece of the story is the gory. And we're going to witness the gory too. And I don't want to be thrown off by it. I want to have a little bit of internal preparation. You know, I heard um, Marcus Meyer, uh, just to, I respect this guy so much. He's been a worship leader in the prayer movement forever. He's got a bunch of kids, just a godly guy. I remember hearing, this was probably 10 years ago, that he and his kids had had some measure of like, role-playing situations of like in the great tribulation moments mommy just got carted off by the bad guys what do you do and what are you feeling and i was like oh my god it hit me really when he told me i was like oh my gosh that's intense i don't know that all of us need to do that all the time but maybe you've never thought to do that and that idea would seem so crazy i think Having a measure of internal preparation. It's real difficult to be prepared for things for when the moment happens if you've never rehearsed how you're going to be prepared for that thing when the moment happens. I mean, is that pretty simple? That's just plain. So I think this concept of brace for impact, brace for the fulfillment of the prophecy, I think it, it bears uh, some value of how we're going to keep it We've thought through a little bit about what that looks like circumstantially and, and regionally and nationally. And, and listen, I don't think you're even going to get it right with your role playing. Whatever you make up in your mind, whatever conversations we have in our, in our little discussion groups, I don't think the point is to get it right. I think the point was to touch it, to then allow that to touch our spirit a little bit. So we can kind of get like, you know, ready or whatever. You know, in the armed forces, all the special ops groups, they get trained for situations. They probably never find themselves in the exact situation they trained for. They find themselves in a like situation that they've got a little bit of familiarity with how to operate in that moment because they've done something similar to it. I think that's kind of part of the point of, of uh, brace for the fulfillment of the prophecy. So... When I break down, keep the prophecy, I think it means all that stuff and probably some more. All right, now, this might seem redundant, but I, I'm actually wanting, I want to uh, go over a few of these things from a different angle. And the point now is some perspective of looking at some obstacles. I think there are some obstacles, some painful truths about the process of keeping the prophecy. I think that there are some things that we want to... We want to look at as an obstacle that is overcomable, but I'm no, you know, I'm not any good at hurdles. I just remember mostly running into them and falling over. But, but, I, but the objective is to see a hurdle and to jump it. And if you do it right, you actually make it up over that hurdle. That's the point, okay? So we don't want to look at hurdles as impossible. We want to look at them as, no, I just got to get enough running start and jump the thing. 
I want to point out some hurdles you are going to run into if you endeavor to keep the prophecy. Okay? Here's some hurdles. You can't keep it if you don't know it. Hurdle number one is you must know this book. You got to know it in and out. The book of Revelation needs to not be a mystery. Can we just think about this for a second? The book of Ecclesiastes, I don't know the exact definition of Ecclesiastes as far as like when you look up that word in the dictionary, what does it mean? But it's got this measure of like mystery to it. These like parables and these things that can be touched but are a bit mysterious. The book of Revelation is a revelation. The book of stuff that will be revealed to you if you'll pay attention to it. It's called the book that is open to reveal stuff to you. Doesn't that sound like a great invitation to a book you could actually understand? That's the point. So don't let everybody and all the whatever you've heard about, ah, it's too hard. That's a lie. That's a lie from Satan, and he's really won the day. I mean, Satan has gotten a lot of, uh, of following in, don't study the book of Revelation, it's too hard to understand, and all the scholars argue about it. That, that is like brilliance on Satan's part. Because we're told to keep this revelation. And we can't keep it if we don't understand it. And God wouldn't ask us to understand something that is ununderstandable, right? So it's a revelation. So your first obstacle that you need to do something about is you can't keep it if you don't understand it. Understand the book. Most don't know this book. That's an obstacle. Most people in the body of Christ don't understand this, at least right now. Now, that's going to change because the church won't survive unless that changes. And God's plan is for the church not only to survive, but to thrive in the midst of all the difficulties. So I have no doubt that by the end, most will understand the book of Revelation. But right now, most people don't. If you just polled, you know, any 100 believers, you would about, you know, how clear are you on the book of Revelation? Do you feel like you have got a pretty good understanding of the book of Revelation? I think most would be so candid with you and say, no, not a clue. Now, I'm, that's not a judgment. It's a reality and it's an obstacle. Part of the obstacle is it empowers you to stay dull. Well, my friend doesn't know, so why do I need to know? Well, I know a little bit, so I'm actually like the leader of the pack with you know these 10 people or 50 people or 100 people or... I mean, I've gone through this many sessions of a study. Therefore, I must really understand it. Don't, don't get fooled here. Most people don't understand the book of Revelation. And while that is going to change, it's currently a real obstacle. Another obstacle. There is no way to get clarity on the fly. No way. You cannot look at the book of... You can't look at anything that you want to get deep understanding about and give it 15 minutes here and there over the course of a year, and by the end of a year, have something of substance of clarity. That will never happen ever. You will lose as much as you're gaining as fast as you're gaining it. You're not gonna get clarity about the book of Revelation on the fly. It's gonna take some like focused attention. Now that's an obstacle. <laughs> because you've only got so much time and so much strength and so much give a care about all the different things in the, in the kingdom of God that you want to study and understand and learn about and go to Bible studies about. You've only got so much bandwidth. So the concept that you can't catch this on the fly, on the run, a little here, a little there, you will never get clarity that way. That's an obstacle. That's just straight up an obstacle. Now there's a lot of different ways to approach how to fix that. I'm just trying to identify obstacles right now. I'll let you figure out how to get up over the hurdle. I'm telling you there is a giant hurdle called you cannot get clarity on this book on the run. It is going to take some focused effort. Next one. Prophecy is tricky. <laughs> Prophecy by nature is parables and mystery and layers 
let me even go to the, to the word I was given earlier about we've got Daniel being told, seal up the prophecy because it pertains to the time of the end and it's going to be sealed up until the end. Then you've got Jesus coming, uh, you know, however many, you know, hundreds of years later. And the book of Revelation is written some decades after Jesus is gone. So I'm going to call it the time frame of Jesus, okay? And in the time frame of Jesus, again, a few decades later, an angel says, don't seal up this prophecy. And Jesus says, I'm coming soon. So we're to understand then that something changed, like the dispensation of the ages of time changed because one time the angel said, seal up the prophecy, it's not time yet. Another time the angel said, don't seal up this prophecy, the time is soon, but it's been 2,000 years since that angel said that. See, there's some, there's some mystery. Prophecy's a little tricky. There's layers. There, and it, it was true. He's coming soon, but it's truer now. And it'll only be truer as we get closer. There's layers to prophecy. And the reason that that's a hurdle is because the easiest cop-out is I didn't understand it. My interpretation was wrong. Therefore, I quit. Don't quit. Don't be a quitter. What Bible verse tells you quit when it gets tough? Please show me that Bible verse. That's not in there. When it gets tough, you keep going. That's what perseverance is. Perseverance is a character trait of saved people. Persevere through the difficulty. But I want to tell you, prophecy is tricky, so inevitably there's going to be things that you get wrong. There's going to be things that you're wrong about. And even after much study, I think some of the stuff that we are just so set on, and we're just like, I know it's this way. I think even those things, there's going to be some surprises that go, oh, it's actually a little different than that. But that doesn't mean that the reach to understand, the reach to communicate it, the reach, that doesn't mean that that was for naught. That's all humans can do is try. But there's this reach, and I just want to tell you, there'll be moments related to keeping the prophecy where you're going to have revelation moments, you're going to see things not land the way you thought, you're going to learn different things, and that can be an encouragement. Learning is supposed to be an encouragement because now you know truth. A minute ago, you believed something that wasn't true. But I've found that it's just as often that the enemy comes in and says, see, you missed that, you don't understand, and you can't understand, therefore quit. So you don't quit when it gets tough. So I just want to tell you an obstacle to keeping the prophecy is prophecy is tricky. <laughs> However, I'll say this, Hebrews 5, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil or good from evil, right and wrong, truth from error, you pick it. Constant use will help you tremendously. Another obstacle this prophecy is heavy. <laughs> this is not a, thus saith the Lord, tomorrow will be sunshine and lollipops. <laughs> this prophecy is weighty. This one's like, a lot of people are going to die. There's going to be a lot of blood in places. And not only that, there's going to be a lot of martyrdom and there's going to be a lot of tension in the world as, as we seek to keep the prophecy and to live it out. There, this is a heavy prophecy. That's an obstacle. Because another obstacle of your human spirit is there's this tendency to draw back from things that are heavy, that are pressure, that are difficult, that are uh, yucky in nature. Your spirit has a tendency to go, no, no, I just want to talk about the love of God. That is also in the Bible and should be studied. So is this. And I want to tell you an obstacle that you'll run into, not just in your own soul, but even in your interactions with others, is that this is a heavy prophecy. I can't tell you how many times I have gotten, it doesn't bother me anymore, it really doesn't, but how many times I've gotten jokes cracked at me about, oh, you're the end times guy, you just love it, you know, when it rains blood and all this stuff. And it's like, there's such a misunderstanding of what's happening with the book of Revelation, but they're right. I do love the book of Revelation, and it does include blood raining down. It's like, well, that's kind of tumultuous. There's, I got to work through that. Am I a vampire? Why do I love this blood thing so much? Like, what's wrong with me? 
It's a heavy prophecy. And so I just want to warn you with the obstacle, this prophecy is heavy and it takes a little bit of, you know, girth. It takes, it takes some spirit, some strength to press through and to not give up when you're reading stuff. It's like, oh my gosh, it's so intimidating. And I recognize some of you, your temperament is, this is, this is particularly difficult for you. And I want to say that I hear that and let's pray for grace from you, but your temperament does not excuse you from keeping the prophecy, and this prophecy is heavy. So there's an obstacle for you. This prophecy, this one, oh my gosh, it's finally coming to pass. This is an obstacle, by the way. This prophecy that's been sitting there, it's never happened. The book of Revelation has never happened before. It's never happened, and we're walking into the hour of human history where it's going to. That's an obstacle because every other generation, that wasn't real. But this one it is. And the weight of that, just look at all these verses that I just want you to take, take to heart for a second. Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Revelation 2.16, I will soon come to you. Revelation 3.11, I am coming soon. Revelation 22.6, the things that must soon take place. Revelation 22.7, I am coming soon. Revelation 22.12, I am coming soon. Revelation 22.20, I am coming soon. It's never happened before. It's never actually been the hour that in just a minute couple decades, three decades, five, I don't know. It's not 92 decades, and it's not next week. In some short amount of time, within the lifespan of many of the people in this room, Jesus is going to come back, and the I am coming soon prophecy will actually be realized for the first time in human history. Here's the reason that's an obstacle. It's very difficult when you're experiencing something that's never happened before. It's difficult in your soul. It's difficult to communicate to others. It's difficult to prepare for. It's difficult to stay the course in. It's difficult because you don't have anybody that's gone before you that had to do it before. Uh, the last time it was coming soon and then Jesus actually came, uh, uh, who, who, who wrote a book about that? How do we get ready? Uh, did they leave us any clues on what to do? We, we don't have any. All we've got really is John the Baptist at the first coming and the context of Jesus' second coming couldn't look more different than the context of Jesus' first coming. So really, we got nothing. So it's a hurdle because we've got to prepare for something no one's ever prepared for before. And we're going to face things no one's ever faced. All of this, here's your last hurdle. This prophecy has a stigma on it. The book of Revelation has a stigma attached to it. And I, I actually think the stigma is as much from God as it is from Satan. Satan wants to attack it. God wants it tested and purified. God wants this thing precious. So there's a stigma. So if you talk about, you know, revelation around the dinner table at the family reunion, it goes over like a lead balloon, right? There's a stigma on it. It's like, oh, there they go again, talking about that crazy stuff. Rain and blood, crazy vampire group. There's a stigma, but look what Peter said. Above all. Why did he say that? Above all. It must be important. Above all. You must understand. In the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Hasn't everybody been talking about the end times for all generations and there was no Jesus? And you guys are talking about Jesus like he's coming back. Ever since our ancestors died, everyone goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. That's the second part of their argument is the thought process. It's just life goes on. It's just, this is generations just like the other generations. But this will be the same. We've got hundreds or thousands of years left. There's stigma on this prophecy. There's stigma related to the unknown. There's stigma related to the scoffers. <clears throat> There's stigma related to other priorities. I just want to tell you this. The generation that sees the Lord return 
had better be focused on it being the generation that is going to see the Lord's return. The problem is no generation has ever been that generation before. So every generation has programmed us ahead of time how to live. This is what you do. This is what you think about. This is what you give your time to. This is what you spend your life and your money on. But the generation that will see the Lord's return can't live like the other generations. They've got to live like it's the generation that the Lord returns. And those other priorities are a hurdle. All right, well, what do we do? I just want to give us a couple of thoughts here and then we'll break up into groups. The purpose for this generation, these weren't the very last words of Jesus, but they're in the wrap up in the final chapter. So I'm going to call them of the last words, part of the last words, part of the final exhortation that Jesus gives us. So part of that final exhortation Think about what this means. It's not just the final exhortation in the book of Revelation. It's the final exhortation in the Bible. It's the final exhortation of canonized scripture. So you really could say the last thing God said that was worth writing down and all of us being enforced to believe it as reality, as the Bible, as truth. These are the last words God gave the human race in essence. Okay, just think about that. <laughs> okay, so it's Jesus. Furthermore, it's the counsel of the written word of God. I'm so thankful for the Bible. The Bible tells me how to live and what not to do and what to believe and how to respond in situations. The Bible is the word of God. It is so important. I would take the Bible over any other physical thing in this world. If, if you told me legitimately I could either have a house or I could have access to the Bible, I would take the Bible 10 times out of 10 if it really meant I was going to not have access to the Bible in any way. There is nothing more important in physical form than the written word of God. And the final words of Jesus, again, give me a little wiggle room there. The final words of the Bible, as the Bible is being wrapped up, is this. Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. As believers... We need to keep these words. This needs to be a big deal in the church. And again, I know it will be one day, but it isn't yet. We're keepers of this prophecy. This ministry has been commissioned to be a forerunner ministry. I am confident there are those in this room that are actually the ones that Daniel saw in Daniel 11 and Daniel 12. He actually saw some of your faces, I'm confident that you are one of the ones that are identified as the wise ones at the end of the age. And let me just tell you real quick. So you're like, well, am I one of those ones? Am I not one of those ones? Let me tell you the one deciding factor. There's one deciding factor. Do you want to be and will you do whatever it takes to be it? That's how you know you're one of these ones. You're like, well, maybe I'm supposed to be one of those ones, but I don't really want to do it. I don't really, well, you're not one of those ones. It's pretty simple. But I know there's some of you in the room that are, you know it, and you're doing it. Let's just look at these verses. Daniel 11, top of page 6. Those who are wise will instruct many. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness in the heavens. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. Daniel was seeing a company of people at the end of the age, and I don't mean like five. Maybe he was only seeing one geographic location or something. But he was seeing a, a, a down payment or a picture of those at the end of the age that would be wise, that would understand the prophecy. They would keep the prophecy, they would have great understanding about it, and they would be those that are preparing for the second coming of Christ. We need to deal with the 150 chapters in the Bible that talk about the, the revelation about the end times. We need to be those that take these chapters seriously, that go on a mission to understand them. I think understanding the book of Revelation is an excellent starting point, but it will always lead you to the 150 chapters because there's very little new information in the book of Revelation. Most of it is clarity and combining ideas from Old Testament prophecies from, uh, from other books in the Bible. Okay, this is a big deal. We gotta get clarity. It's gonna take some big investment. Let's break up into groups. How many groups we got tonight, Luke? 
four groups of six to seven, and who are my uh, group leaders? All right, Caitlin, stay put. Luke uh, Cooper, if you'll come over here. Luke Friedenberg, kind of just go over there if you don't mind. Andy's in the back. Groups of six to seven, let's break into groups. All right, I'll repeat the questions so that we can uh, have them recorded and for those that are watching online. So uh, we'll start over here with Luke Friedenberg, y'all's group. So the question is, uh, a lot of times when you find yourself in a conversation with somebody about the end times or about the book of Revelation, uh, the response being, you know, that... Well, we'll know when we get there and kind of downplaying the importance of it, I guess is really what you're saying. And uh, the question is, you know, what do we do in those moments? How do we try to be a faithful witness? How do we keep the prophecy? What do we talk to them about that? So I think the, the problem, not just with the subject of the book of Revelation, but with anything, when people downplay the importance of the word, I think it's actually pretty easy to address with Bible verses that say the exact opposite thing of what they said. So it's like, you might ask them the question, and I would be real careful so that you don't come across as a know-it-all, but ask them the question, do you know at the end of Revelation, it says we're supposed to keep the prophecy of the book. We're supposed to keep, in essence, the 22 chapters. Ask them the question, what do you think it means to keep those 22 chapters? Now, anybody who's honest is going to give you some answer like, oh, yeah, you got me. <laughs> I mean, anybody who, that's, I mean, no one's going to go, oh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> or, I mean, anybody that's honest is going to like, oh, it says that? <laughs> Okay, well, what do you, th and hopefully they turn it around on you go, what do you think it means? <laughs> and so, so anytime people are dismissing the word of God, we meet them with the word of God and, and go, yeah, but the word says this, what does that mean? You know, I mean, I, I do the same thing with people that are in, in immorality and are, are content with it. It's like, read them a Bible verse. It's like, what do you do about this? Oh, well, I... I like my sin. Aha! We found the problem. <laughs> it's not actually that you don't believe that this is what the Bible says. It's that you love your sin. <laughs> and so, so anyway, I think when people are dismissing the word, we meet them with the word. But in order to be able to do that, we'd need to know the word. So we need to have a few phrases like, keep the prophecy. Now, I mean, there's a million. Not just from Revelation. They're all over. I mean, Jesus is you know, teachings. I mean, on the subject, Paul, I mean, there's a thousand, there's no end to the answer to the question when someone is downplaying the importance. Quote a Bible verse, and if you can't quote it, look it up in Bible Gateway real quick. I mean, really, that gets the job done. And then show them. They go, what about this verse? And all the verses just like it. And then they go, oh, okay. All right. And then maybe you get a ministry opportunity. Um, so that, that's how I'd answer it. Related to the subject of living like this prophecy is true, what are some long-term plans, thinking in the, in the decades, two, three decades, uh, of things that would impact your life and, and life decisions? Well, one, I would say, make a plan to start studying the book of Revelation and never stop. Now, when I say never stop, I don't mean like you can't have seasons where you haven't read it in a while. That's part of it. But like, you've not graduated. It, settle in your heart you've never graduated from Revelation. Like it's not, I mean, after we do this big long series, we finish up, let no one walk away go, now I'm an expert, don't ever have to touch that again. Instead go, okay, now I've got a really solid introduction. How now do I continue to interact with that book and, and that prophecy? So one, I would say get a vision for long-term uh, interaction and an effort to engage the book of Revelation. So I'd say that's one. Another about living the way, uh, living in ways that are reflective of this, I would do a, I mean, I think this is so important. I, I, it might be one of the most important things a Christian in America can do. Challenge the American dream in your own life. Stare right at 
what America says, this is what it means to have it all, to live the dream, to be, you know, all you can be in America. This is what it looks like. This is what's supposed to happen in your life. And challenge that and say, how much of that is in alignment with what the word of God says with relationship to this prophecy? Because here's the thing, the American dream, if you pursue it, you can't pursue God too. But if you'll pursue God, he'll give you a bunch of the American dream. Thank you both. The problem is we've been so programmed, even in the church, to be agnostic. Like God's not real. And he's not, he's not really a fulfiller of promises. He doesn't, he's not real, not really real. I mean, he's religion level real, but he's not real, real. Interact, answers prayer, performs the word, He's not that kind of real. And so we need to stare at the American dream and go, I I am not going to live that way. I am not going to live with those metrics in mind for my life. I'm going to pray like crazy God gives me them because they're all fun. I'm just not going to go make them happen for myself. I'm going to make God happen for myself. And you set a long-term plan that I am, because you don't have energy to do both. And so what gets cheated always is God. And God, and that's the whole reason Jesus over and over is like, lose your life, lose your life. If you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. I mean, the reason he drives it home is because he knows everybody doesn't want to lose their life. Everybody wants to gain their life. And he's like, you'll lose me. So as another long-term objective, just go, if, if in 30 years, my life looks like the American dream, it will not be because I made it happen for myself. I will not make it happen for myself. I will not. I will pursue God and pray that he gives me that stuff. Instead of I'm going to spend my time and my energy making that happen because you've only got so much time and energy. And it's why the book of Revelation, it's why making a lifestyle of like studying the book of Revelation and knowing the book of Revelation seems absurd to us in this culture because what we've been ingrained in is spend all of your time and your attention pursuing the American dream. And then you don't have really any time left to do something spiritual like try to understand Revelation. And so I, I would think in, in relationship to your lifestyle, it's, it, in my assessment, it's less about revelation specifically and more about lifestyle objectives, trajectory, pursuit. What is your pursuit? And, and really have a conversation in your soul about the American dream. Uh, because uh, that what I witness is that's the greatest uh, ensnarement, entrapment in our culture is people see what their neighbor has and what their neighbor's doing and and what's going on with them and they see what it took for their neighbor to get that way and they go, well, then I got to do that too and then I'll also try to have a relationship with God and take my family to church and, and, and have Christianity as a real part of my life. Christianity was never supposed to be a part of your life. Your life is over. You died. You no longer live. It's Christ who lives in you. And this life you go on living, you live for the Son of God, and then also you contextualize that and breathe air here in America and walk around on dirt in America and operating the American economy and a few other America things. But that's not your life. And, and we've gotten it all flip-flop. So I, a great question. I'm glad I got to do my little soapbox. All right, Andy. So how do we position our hearts in the waiting of the fulfillment of these promises, both good and, neg- uh, good and, posit- good and negative, um, promises. How do we kind of hold our heart and how position ourselves? Um, I think that all of us, if we're genuine believers, if we've got Jesus in our life, we have really given our life to him. We've all got at least a little bit of history. Maybe it's only days of history of the faith wrestle at some level about something. The subject of faith where, well, I really thought God was going to come through for me in this thing and he didn't yet. I really needed this thing, and I I don't have this thing yet. I think all of us have got some level of experience touching the yet concept related to faith, whether it's salvation of a family member, healing in your body, finally get that job, I mean, whatever. I mean, I think we've all got that wrestle. You've got to exercise that same faith muscle in relationship to these promises. And you go, it's a yet thing, and the whole, just even to fuel yourself a little bit on the, the um, finality of it, the absoluteness of it, 
The whole point of the Bible and of life is God wants to send Jesus back so we can be in relationship with him forever. So this subject that we're talking about isn't fringe, it's the point. Like, think about that for a second. The end time message is the point of life. <laughs> like, that God would come back and dwell with us forever, of which there have been many prerequisites. Because of the fall, there needed to be the coming of the Son. Jesus had to come. He had to live perfect, die on our behalf. He had to be resurrected and be the first fruits of those that get a resurrected body. He has to come back. It's all a storyline that we really haven't even really started yet. Not really. The point of life is that Jesus comes back so we can get started with the party. That's the point. So when you think about the Bible, if there's anything in the Bible you believe or like or agree with, this is the point of the Bible. This is like the essence of the entire story is that he's coming back and so that we'd be in relationship with him forever in reality and it's going to be incredible. This is the story. This is the purpose. The end times is not a fringe message. It's the message. God is coming back for us. This is great. So related to stirring your faith muscle in this, it's like this is the biggest story that's ever been told and it's our faith. Our faith is that our Savior is coming back. And so I would just say, keeping your eyes on that, what happened with Peter is he started to look at the storm instead of looking at Jesus, and so he started to sink in the water. And that's the faith journey for all of us. It's the, you look at the problem, ah, the problem is so big. It's like, well, okay, you're sinking. You're now sinking. Instead of not thinking about that problem and focusing on instead what the Word of God says, who the character of God is, God's promises, your, your history in God. And so I would say we focus on the storyline and go, this storyline is true, therefore these promises are coming. And the positive promises, they're coming though they linger. And I wish they'd stop lingering because I don't like waiting. But they're coming because the Bible says they're coming. The negative, ooh, I don't like the negative. I kind of wish they wouldn't come, but I trust that if they do come, because the Bible says they're coming, I'm going to be okay because the Bible says they're coming, and I'm in God, so it's going to be okay. But the answer in both cases is the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. I mean, it's just, so the faith journey is quoting the word at yourself, believing the word and not your circumstances, like 2,000 years of history passing. Those kinds of things. So great question. Yep. So how does keeping the prophecy flesh out for normal people? So I recognize there's a handful of us around here that are not normal. Our job is to be at this building 50 hours a week or whatever it is. Uh, so that's not normal. What about for normal people? How do you keep the prophecy? You keep the prophecy the exact same way. Your time, your, your, the, matter of the, the measure of attention that you're able to give probably looks different but I don't think that the process looks any different at all. So all of us, whether we're a full-time missionary or a dock worker at FedEx, all of us spend time driving around in a car. What are you talking to Jesus about in the car or is your brain completely unengaged and you're someplace else? It's like, there, we've all got that downtime. All of us wake up in the morning and have routines. What do you do in the morning when you brush your teeth? What are you doing? What are you thinking about? All of us read the word, hopefully. Are we spending time reading the book of Revelation? All of us have discussions with friends. All of us. Are all of our discussions with friends about the new Lord of the Ring series? Or are at least some of those about what does it look like to engage our heart into keeping the prophecy? And what does it look like to day to day walk these things out? I think so much of the answer to the question of how to keep it is found in our peers is found in what is my friend doing that lives in a very similar circumstance to I do? How are they handling this? How are they approaching this? What does it look like with your kids? And all of us, whether we have got a full-time job doing this or this, have got the, the measure of and responsibility of discipleship with our kids. Something I try to do, just as a little freebie here, something I try to do every Saturday morning with my kids is have a really intentional, God is a real person over breakfast. We just talk about God being a real person. Because I want my kids to know God is not a religion. I want my kids to understand that God is real 
because they can't follow him or give their life to him or walk with him if God is a religion or if he's an option or if he's a concept. And so one of the things that I try to do in, in my efforts in the broad scale of things, because I want my kids to know that revelation, because they're not going to care about the book of Revelation if they don't think there's a real person that wrote it. I'm not, I can't talk to them about revelation if they don't care about who Jesus is. And so there's kind of some building blocks. But my point with that is all of us have Saturday mornings, not just intercessory missionaries. All of us do. So there's lots of time, there's lots of in the gaps that make up our life and our thought life and our conversations that are uh, uh, un, uh, unrelated to our occupation. And so I'm grateful that I get to be in this room as much as I do, but actually I think probably, at least for me, I don't spend a considerable amount of time in this room intentionally keeping the prophecy. I, I mean... It happens sometimes. I have some dialogues with the Lord, but I don't, I don't look at it as, oh, I've got prayer room time. I'm going to spend a lot of that trying to hunt down what does it look like to keep the prophecy. I, I'm just trying to do that in my life and in my rhythms. And then, oh, yeah, being in the prayer room is part of my life and rhythms, so I do that in here too. So great question. Okay, well, uh, let's uh, get our chairs back here in just a second. I'm going to pray. And I think this was a great, great time tonight, guys. Great uh, word. I know we went a little long, but I think it was worth it for the session uh, content. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.